0: We're in Jonah chapter 4, and um, we'll finish this book up tonight, and then next week I think we'll move over to Habakkuk. uh, Habakkuk. So we'll do a few more of these minor prophets and then uh, hop on to something uh, something else. So Jonah chapter 4, and we'll read the chapter, and then we'll have a Bible study. Jonah 4, verse 1 says, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have a good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat to the east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what should happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? He said, I have a good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work in which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and Lord, how you instruct us, Lord, through so many ways, Lord, teaching us what is your will, Lord, teaching and revealing to us who you are, and Lord, how it is that you manifest your glory in this world. And Lord, we see here that, Lord, you are indeed a God who is compassionate and slow to anger. Lord, that you have uh, pity upon uh, your creatures. Lord, even upon those who have rebelled against you. And that, Lord, you have chosen to glorify yourself, Lord, by being merciful uh, to those who are unworthy and who do not deserve it. And Lord, we know that that truly is a fitting description of who we are Lord knowing that in our natural state we are sinners and yet it is because of your graciousness Lord because of your kindness uh, that we have been redeemed and turned from our sin Lord brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved son and so father we pray that um, we likewise would be compassionate Lord that we would be merciful just as you are merciful Lord, just as you do good to your enemies, Lord, may we also uh, do the same. And Lord, uh, love others as our Heavenly Father has loved us. So Lord, teach us and keep us from being bitter, Lord, from being uh, harsh and judgmental, uh, such as was uh, found in Jonah. And Lord, just as you instructed him and Lord, sanctified him, Lord, may you also continue to instruct and to sanctify us. And Lord, we ask that you do so tonight through the teaching of your word. And it is in Christ's name that we pray, amen. All right, well, here we come to the end of the book of Jonah. And we remember that up to this point, Jonah uh, has been called by God to go and to preach to the city of Nineveh, to declare to them uh, that God is going to overturn them. Jonah ran from that calling of God. Uh, He fled from the presence of the Lord. He went to, uh, sought to go to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. God then uh, sent this storm while he was out at sea which led to his being cast into the sea and swallowed by this great fish where there God preserved him. The fish puked him out. And now he has gone to Nineveh. Having received the call again from God, he proclaimed the message from the Lord. Uh, and when the people of Nineveh heard it, uh, they repented of their sins. They cried out to God and God relented of the disaster that he had declared concerning them. And God was compassionate and merciful to them. Now, the end of the book deals with the aftermath of this in terms of Jonah's uh, interaction with God and what Jonah thinks about what has happened and what God thinks about Jonah. And this is what it's uh, getting to the main point uh, of what it's teaching uh, in the book. And, you know, when you think about what takes place in the city of Nineveh, uh, really, you have a a very genuine uh, movement of God where God Uh, brings about a great revival, a great work of salvation uh, among these people. You know, when you think about uh, over the course of human history and over the course of church history, you know, how many pastors, how many churches have prayed for, uh, have asked God uh, to perform such movements? How many ministers have faithfully preached the word of God year after year after year? And yet how rare it is that there is a true movement of God like what happened in the city of Nineveh. And if we could experience something like that, you like to think that our response would be rejoicing, would be a praising of the Lord, would be thankfulness to God in all of the things that he is doing. And yet here we have someone who experienced a true and genuine revival, not some fraudulent man-made revival, but a true, genuine revival of God, one of the greatest movements, one of the greatest miracles that God ever performed in terms of the salvation of a very wicked and a very pagan city. And yet here we find that the instrument used by God to bring about this great revival is not happy with what has happened, that he's actually very disappointed and disgusted at what has come about in terms of Nineveh and the relenting of the judgment that God had pronounced upon them. And so it is a very bizarre, peculiar, uh, it strikes us as uh, as kind of, uh, over-the-top, you know, his perspective on everything that's going on. And the Lord uses this uh, to teach Jonah, but also uh, for our benefit as well, right? For our benefit as well, and to instruct us in these things. Just a couple of things to point out uh, before we begin on this part. There, there is a, a parallel that's running throughout the book of Jonah. Right. We remember in Jonah chapter one, verses one to three, you have God's call to Jonah and then Jonah's response, which is when he fled from the presence of the Lord. Then in chapter three, verses one to three, you have a call of God to Jonah. But this time, instead of fleeing from the presence of the Lord, he obeys the presence. He obeys God and does what God calls him to do. In chapter one, verses four to 10, you have Jonah and his interaction with these pagan sailors. Then in chapter three, verses four to 10, you have Jonah and his interaction with the pagans there in Nineveh. In chapter two, verses one and 10, you have Jonah's prayer of gratitude to God for God's deliverance and God's salvation that he gave to him. Then in chapter four, verses one to four, you have Jonah's prayer in the aftermath of what has happened in the city of Nineveh. And really you see a stark contrast in Jonah's attitude when he's the recipient of God's grace and mercy, he is very grateful and he's rejoicing. But when others are the recipient of God's grace and mercy, he is upset, he's complaining, and he's asking God to kill him because he cannot stand to live in a world where the Ninevites receive God's mercy and his graciousness. And so he's revealing here that his perceptions, his understanding, some fundamental flaws in his understanding of who God is and his understanding of sin, of of self, (coughs) excuse me, I got joked up my own spit, Um, is his understanding of salvation, of the grace and mercy of God. And this is often the case with us as well. We are fine with God being merciful so long as he's merciful to us, so long as he's merciful to our friends, to our family, to our loved ones, to those who are like us. But it's when God's mercy begins to extend to those that we consider our enemies to those that we don't like, that we don't want to be around. That that is when people begin to question, you know, God's ways in the world and whether or not God is just and righteous in in the way that he behaves. So let's pick up, thank you, in Jonah chapter four, and we'll read verses one to four. One to four. There it says, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Here in verse 1, when Jonah sees what happens, it greatly displeased him. Here, this is the most extreme way that they can communicate his anger, his frustration, how upset he is at what has come about. And why is he greatly displeased? He is greatly displeased because God did not destroy the city. He came and he wanted God to overthrow Nineveh. To do so, maybe in a way similar to what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. When God sent uh, fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed those cities and they became a burning salt plain. And yet here, God has relented from this judgment, from this overthrowing of Nineveh. And now Jonah is very upset, upset that God did not do this. And it says that he is, he became angry and he is exceedingly angry. He is greatly displeased at what has taken place. And we have to ask, who is he angry at? Yeah. Right. And it has to be God. Ultimately, God is the object of his anger and of his displeasure, right, which is a very dangerous thing. And it shows us how compassionate God is, because God could have just, you know, thumped him on the head and said, okay, you want me to destroy someone, I'll destroy you, right? Who are you and who do you think you are questioning me and what I'm doing in the world? And yet we see that God is very compassionate, toward Jonah as well because he does not give him according to what his sin deserves, but he is patient with him, he instructs him, he teaches him, he guides him along the way instead of destroying him, and this is the way God is with all of us. How many times do we repeat uh, the same sins over and over and over? Do we do the same things over and over and over, right? And yet, does God destroy us in our sin? He is compassionate. He is patient with us. He continues to sanctify us, to work within us, to purify us, right? He does those kinds of things. And this is what he does for Jonah as well. Verse two, he prays to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning... Calamity. Here we find the real reason as to why he fled. What was the real reason for his fleeing from God? Right? In chapter one, God issues the call to him and it just tells us that he fled from the presence of the Lord, but it does not state, it leaves the reason for his fleeing out, but it is here now supplied in chapter four. Now, all of his frustrations, all of his suspicions of what he knew was going on, all of these things that he's been harboring within his own heart, he now is giving full vent to his frustrations and his anger at God because he knew what God was about to do. He was suspicious. He had his inklings of what God intended in sending him there to Nineveh. And this is why he fled in the first place, to forestall what God was going to do and what is it that God desired to do for the people of Nineveh? To give to them his mercy, to be gracious to them, to send a prophet to them and to use him in his pronouncement of judgment as the means or the instrument to produce repentance in them that, way, that so that God might be gracious and merciful to them. He knew from the beginning what the Lord was up to because if God wanted to destroy Nineveh, then he could just do it, right? Why does he have to send a prophet to Nineveh beforehand? He doesn't have to do that. If he wants to destroy them, then just wipe them off the face of the earth. But that God sent Jonah beforehand was suspicion to Jonah that what God really intended to do was not to destroy them, but to use his preaching of judgment to produce repentance. And Jonah knows that if men repent of their sin that God will be gracious to them. God will be merciful to them because he knows the character and nature of God. That's what he quotes here. I know that you're gracious. I know that you're a compassionate God. I know that you're slow to anger. I know that you're abundant in loving kindness. I know that you're one who relents concerning calamity. This is who God is. Jonah knows the character and nature of God. His theology is good concerning who God is. He just doesn't like it when God acts upon it, contrary to the expectations and the desires and wishes of Jonah. Here, he's quoting from Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, where in the aftermath of the golden calf, When Israel violated the covenant and justly deserved to be destroyed because of their sin, yet God did not give them the calamity that they deserved, but he relented of it and he was compassionate and gracious to them. 34, six to seven. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. He's quoting the first part of this, that he knows these things to be true of God, and these things have been witnessed and seen in God's interaction with with the children of Israel throughout the years. And here in the immediate context of Exodus chapter 34, this is the basis for God not consuming them because of their transgression, because of their violation of the covenant when they made the golden calf. God was merciful to Israel. And for Jonah, it's okay for God to be merciful so long as he's merciful to who? To Israel or to him or to other Jews. But who is it not okay for God to be merciful to? the men of Nineveh so he doesn't understand human nature he doesn't understand that the distinction and the preference of Israel above the other nations is not because of anything inherent in them it is all based upon the loving kindness of God but just as God has given his mercy to Israel so many times in the past does that mean that God is obligated to give that to them No. And does that mean that they have an exclusive right to the mercy of God and that God cannot give it to anyone else? No, of course not. God can do whatever he pleases. And in Romans chapter three, Romans chapter three, there the apostle says in chapter three, verse nine, what then are we Jews any better off? And he says, by no means. Are we Jews any better off? Are we Jews any better off than the Gentiles? Are we better by nature than they are? No. Are the Jews better than the Ninevites? No. Are they better than the Babylonians? No. Are they better than the Egyptians? No. So what do they have that they've not received from God? Every privilege they have is a result of God's blessing, of his mercy, of his undeserved grace that he has given to them. But if it is undeserved and you have no right or claim to it, then that means God is free. God is free with his mercy because men do not merit it, right? We do not earn it. He is free to give it to whomever he pleases. And if he wants to give it to one nation and exalt them above the other nations, which is what he did with Israel, then God can do that. But if during this time he wants to extend his grace and mercy to the people of Nineveh, then God can do that as well. He can do whatever he pleases. And he is not violating anyone or doing Uh, anything that is sinful or evil, he can be merciful to whoever he wants. And if he does it to Nineveh, then Jonah, you have no right to complain. So Jonah has no problem with God being gracious so long as the objects of that grace are not the men of Nineveh, right? And then on top of all of this, not only has God been gracious to Nineveh, who did God force to be the instrument to bring about his mercy to them. Jonah, he made me be a part of what God was doing. So he already doesn't like it and he wants nothing to do with it. You're gonna do it anyway, he knows. And now you're making me, I tried to run from you, even got thrown into the sea. Then you swallowed me with a fish, puked me out, and now you're making me go. And it all came about anyway, the very things that he does not want. Verse three, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. Here, a world where God forgives Nineveh is a world that Jonah does not want to live in. And he prefers death over life at this point. This is how miserable he is. And really, he does come across, you know, in chapter four and chapter one, not so much two and three, one and four. He kind of comes off a little moody, a little pouty, writing the things that he's saying very much over the top, right? I would rather die than 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 experience this. So just kill me, right? Just kill me. Death is better to me than life. Now, verse four, God's response. The Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? God is asking him, questioning him, asking him this rhetorical question. Do you have a legitimate just reason for your anger that is directed at me. This question is very similar. It's identical to what God did to Job. Job is in the same scenario as Jonah. Job is questioning the justice of God, God's ways in the world. He's criticizing God in the way that God is treating him. And so the Lord comes to Job and he asks him questions and he questions him and says, you tell me, you instruct me. And then he lays out all these things, right? Will, will you, uh, in order to justify and vindicate yourself, will you even put me into the wrong? And do you have a right to be issuing all these complaints and all these criticisms of my way in the world? This is what the Lord is doing to Jonah as well. Do you have a right to be angry? You are questioning me, so I'm going to question you. Now, the irony of all this is that God is being very patient. He's being very kind and merciful. Certainly, he's done that to the men of Nineveh. But who else is he being patient with all throughout the book of Jonah? Jonah, Jonah, right? Jonah, God is very patient and very merciful and very kind to Jonah. So who do you think you are, right, in doing these things, right? God could wipe him off of the face of the earth at this very moment. How dare you get angry with God? Can the creature be angry at his creator? Can the pot rail against the potter and say, what are you doing? Why have you made me like this? Why are you doing the things that you are doing? God could squash him like a bug if he wanted to do so, but instead he doesn't do this. Instead, he teaches him and he's going to use Jonah and take him through this kind of object lesson for his benefit and for our benefit. And this is what takes takes place throughout the rest of the book the question is what right do you have to be angry what right what legitimate right do you have and according to Romans chapter 9 verses 14 and 18 man has no right to ever question God's ways in the world and if God wants to harden one man and give him over to his judgment God can do so and he's done that man no wrong And no one can question God or say, what are you doing? And if God wants to soften a man and be merciful to him, then God can do so. And no one can question and say to God, what are you doing? And whatever God does, whether he does, gives a man over to judgment or whether he gives a man mercy, he always does it in perfect conformity to his own righteousness, to his own justice. God never forgives a sinner unjustly and God never condemns a sinner unjustly. If he forgives a sinner and is merciful, he does it consistent with his own justice and righteousness. And if he condemns a sinner, he does it consistent with his own justice and righteousness. And no man can ever question God and what he is doing. Romans nine fourteen. what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who had mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, that I might demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. He has mercy on whom he desires, he hardens whom he desires and destroys him. And he can do it however he pleases. And he can even do it in one city, be merciful to them, like he did with Nineveh in the book of Jonah. And then we just finished the book of Nahum and we're dealing with the same city. And what did God give to them? He hardened them and he destroyed them. One generation, he gave them grace and mercy. The next generation or a few generations later, he gives them judgment and wrath. Did God sin in either case? Did God do injustice in either case? No, he never does. He always does what is right. Will not the Lord of heaven and earth do what is right? This is what Abraham asked the Lord in Genesis chapter 18. And he knew knew the answer. Yes, God will do what is right. He always does so. So Jonah has no right to question God or to be angry. Now, verses five through the end of the book, God's going to teach this to Jonah through the school of hard knocks, okay? He has to learn the hard way uh, these kinds of things. Verse five, then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So here Jonah goes out and he is going to watch and see. Maybe if God relented of the calamity, then maybe he'll relent of the mercy and they'll get destroyed anyway. So and maybe their repentance will be false or they'll change the back to their ways. So he's going to go out and wait and watch and see because he's pronounced in 40 days Nineveh will be overturned and he's going to wait and see what comes to fruition. What happens? Is it indeed true that God is going to be merciful to them? So he goes out, sits to the east of the city, and there he makes this shelter for himself and sits under this shelter to see what's going to happen to the city. Now, this part of the world is a very hot part of the world. Uh, Nineveh would be like in modern day Ar- Iraq. So this is the uh, Middle East, very hot. It's a very arid climate and he would need a shelter to sit under to guard him from the sun so that he doesn't faint and die there in misery, uh, being exposed to the elements in that way. So he builds this shelter, but the shelter is itself, what we'll see, not sufficient for his comfort, right? He's still in a, a bad situation because of the extremities and because of the type of area it is. It's not sufficient to provide comfort for him. Then verse six, So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Here, God graciously provides a plant to remove Jonah's temporal discomfort. Jonah has discomfort because of the sun. This is a type of calamity on a very small scale. And yet God is gracious to him and graciously provides this plant for him that is able to do for Jonah something that Jonah could not do for himself. Jonah through his shelter was not able to build himself a sufficient way to guard him from the heat of the sun. God sends the plant and the plant provides this additional layer of comfort for Jonah so that he's not in such misery and he's not facing the elements in the way that he was. And it is the plant that saves or delivers Jonah from this discomfort. So here, Jonah faces this calamity from the sun. Jonah seeks to divert the calamity. His shelter is insufficient to do so. And then God graciously provides a remedy. He provides this plant that miraculously grows up overnight. How often does that ever happen? That a plant grows up in one night and becomes fully mature so that now he's sitting under this wonderful shade. And what is the result in Jonah? He is very happy. He's extremely happy. You you see the mood swings in Jonah? He's very angry, but now he's very happy because he has a plant. Everyone loves a good plant. It brings joy to the house. Abigail, she loves plants. She has them all over the place. It greens everything up. So everyone loves a good plant. Now the contrast is that when Nineveh received mercy, what was Jonah's response? He was very angry. <clears throat> when Jonah received mercy, what was his response? He is very happy. You see the contrast that's taking place in in Jonah in the way that he's responding to his own benefits and his advantages that he receives. He's very happy about those things. But then when others receive tokens of God's grace and mercy, he's very angry and he's upset in that. And this is the point that God is going to make. Verses seven to eight. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun be down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Here, the next day, <clears throat> God removes the compassion, right? God is uh, doing to Jonah what Jonah wants God to do to Nineveh. Right, that's what he's doing in this small way, in this very uh, temporal way, God is giving to Jonah exactly what he wants God to do to Nineveh. He's treating him according to his own desires, according to his own desires. He sends this worm and the worm comes and destroys the plant so that the plant withers away and dies and then God turns up the heat, right? He turns it up by sending this scorching east wind to come and to blow and the sun to beat down on Jonah's head so that he was so faint that he was begging to die. He's in such misery from the heat that he's asking God to kill him again, which is the second time in this chapter that he's asking God to kill him. Death is better than life to me because I'm so hot. Now, this, you know, I could understand. If you've worked outside and it's really hot out there, sometimes you maybe would prefer death over life, but he's really going overboard in all the things that he is saying now in both cases both with Nineveh and with Jonah there is a calamity that is announced or that is coming in the case of Nineveh it is that God is going to overthrow the city in the case of Jonah it is this scorching east wind and the sun that is beating down upon him In both cases, there is the extension of grace. God is gracious to Nineveh by relenting of the calamity that he's going to bring them. God is gracious to Jonah by giving him this plant to shade him and to relieve his temporal discomfort. Then in the case of Nineveh, Jonah is angry because of God's grace. In his own case, he is very happy because of the graciousness that God has given to him. And so now God removes his grace and gives Jonah over to the heat. And now he's ready to die again. And he's in a miserable state and he prefers death over life. Now, verse nine, then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? He said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And this reminds us or brings us back to verse four, where God has already asked him, do you have a good reason to be angry? In verse four, do you have a good reason to be angry that I was compassionate and gracious to Nineveh? And he thinks he does have a good reason to be angry for that reason. Now God asks him, do you have a good reason to be angry about the destruction and the death of, of your plant, that it was destroyed, that it was not saved, it was not preserved, do you have a right to be upset about the plant? And what is his answer? Yes, I have a right to be upset, yes I do. And why is Jonah so upset about his plant? Because it was valuable to him, it was a benefit to him, it was something that he cherished, he loved his plant, it provided shade for him, it was something that was a great benefit and value to him. And because he valued that plant, then he has a right to be angry with God for taking and removing his plant from him. Now, verses 10 and 11. Here then is the lesson. God has Jonah right where he wants him. And with his own mouth, he's already condemned himself or he's already exposed himself and proven his folly in what he has said concerning the plant, now God's gonna take what Jonah has said and make application of it to the people of Nineveh and draw this comparison uh, from the lesser to the greater. Your pity for the plant versus God's pity for the people of Nineveh. Verse 10, then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Here, you had pity on this plant. You love this plant. You wanted this plant to live. You believe the plant deserved life because it was valuable to you. So you pitied this plant. However, did Jonah do anything to bring that plant into existence? Right, even in terms of the normal natural way in which, uh, Plants are planted in the way that they grow and they produce. Typically, God uses a human means or human agent to bring those things about, such as the farmer who goes out and plants. But even when the farmer goes out and plants, who is the one that causes the growth? All of it depends upon the will of God. But in this case, God didn't even use a human agent. There was no human agent involved. God brought this plant up miraculously by his own power Jonah did not plant it. Jonah did not cultivate it. He did not water it. He did no work for this plant. God did everything. There was no contribution from Jonah. How long did Jonah enjoy his plant? One day. His plant existed for one day. For one day, he enjoyed and he basked in the shade of his plant. Then verse 11 should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. Here, the contrast is, if Jonah can have pity on a plant, then can God not have pity on a city? Why is it okay for Jonah to have pity and mercy for his plant, And for him to believe and to be upset because he thinks his plant deserves to live, his plant deserves salvation, but it's not okay for God to have pity on this city that is made up of people, right? Not plants, though there would have been plants there as well, but the focus is on the people, right? It's on the people. You have compassion on your plant, then can God not have compassion on people? And what is more valuable, a plant or a person? Well, to any sane person, <clears throat> the key word being sane, everyone would recognize that people are more valuable than plants. One person is more valuable than one plant. But here, it's one plant versus how many people? 120,000 people. So we got one plant versus 120,000 people. It's okay to be compassionate toward one plant, but it's not okay for God to be compassionate toward one. 120,000 people. Also, Jonah, in his case, with the plant, he did no work. He didn't do anything to bring about that plant. But what about in the case of the men of Nineveh? Does God have any work invested in them? Well, is he not their creator? Didn't God create them and bring them into being? Isn't God the one who sustains them every second of every day? Every aspect of their life is dependent upon the work of God. God created them, and then God is the one who upholds them. And they are men who are created in his image. They have been created in the image of God. The plant was not created in the image of Jonah, but these men have been created in the image of God. He created them, he created them in his image, he sustains them every day. So God has much more Involvement with these men than Jonah has with his plant. Then also the last point of contrast, Jonah knew his plant for one day, right? For one day. But how long has God known the men of the city? For every day of their life. So God has much more involvement and he has a far greater reason to be compassionate and merciful and to have pity on this city than Jonah has to have pity on this plant. But Jonah believes he has every right to be angry because of the death of his plant. And so he's proving himself really to be a hypocrite, uh, to be a hypocrite and to be completely inconsistent in his application of pity, of compassion, of mercy, and that he does not understand these things, right? The men of Nineveh are more valuable than the plant. Therefore, God has a greater right and a greater reason to show compassion on them Then Jonah has to show compassion on his plant. It is the argument from the lesser to the greater. Then in verse 11b, he says that these are 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand. These are ignorant people. Now, when he says this, he doesn't mean that they're innocent people. Ignorance in the Bible does not mean innocence. This is typically what people think. They think that if a person is ignorant then he cannot be held accountable. But that's not the case in the Bible because ignorance is, uh, there are degrees of it. There are degrees of it, and it means it in a certain way. It is true that men are ignorant of God, but their ignorance is the product of their own sin. However, will these men of Nineveh ever, through their own wisdom, through their own insight, through their own study, their own efforts, will they ever come to a true saving knowledge of who God is? they will never do so. This is what he means. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. They are left in the dark. And so long as they are in the dark with not with no access to the word of God, they are never going to discern the way of salvation. They're going to remain in their sin. They're gonna remain under the judgment and wrath of God and they would be overthrown. Yet here, God was compassionate to them and his compassion was seen in that he sent a prophet to instruct them in the ways of God. So that now, after the instruction of Jonah, they're no longer men who cannot discern between their right hand and left hand. Now they have received wisdom from God and they've been made wise unto salvation. They've repented of their sin so as to bring about this great God's earth. They have repented and in response, God has been merciful to them. Second Chronicles 36. 2nd Chronicles 36, verse 15. Here, this is in, spoken in reference to Israel, but it would certainly also apply here to the men of Nineveh. Though it was uncommon it, that God in the Old Testament sent his prophets to foreign nations, typically he sent them to Israel. And the reason God sent his prophets to Israel was because of his mercy. Second Chronicles 36, 15 says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. The sending of the messenger is because of God's compassion. He had compassion on his people. Therefore, he sent word to them by his messengers. God had compassion on Nineveh first by sending to them one of his messengers who taught and instructed them in the ways of God. And then when they responded to that message in a positive way, by believing it, by believing God and repenting of their sin, then God also was merciful to them by relenting of the judgment that he said that he was going to bring upon them. Is God's compassion a blight on his character? Is it something that makes God unworthy of worship, that he would be compassionate to men, to unworthy, undeserving sinners? No. The Bible teaches us the opposite, that the compassion of God is reason for us to worship God and to praise God. Now, God's justice is also reason for us to worship and praise him, but also his compassion and his mercy is reason for us to worship and praise him. And in the end, God will be glorified for both reasons, for both reasons. Here he's been compassionate. He's chosen to use Nineveh to display the greatness, the glory of his graciousness and of his mercy. And this is not a blight on the character of God. This is uh, brings great glory and honor to the character of God. However, Jonah isn't receiving it in that way. Jonah is receiving it as if this is some, makes God out to be a monster, right makes God unworthy of his praise and of his devotion and of his affection. And then here it, be, it ends with him saying, as well as many animals. There are 120,000 persons in Nineveh, as well as many animals. So why the animals? And the animals would be a, a middle ground, a middle ground in terms of life, in value. Uh, the plants would be on the bottom, <clears throat> the plants, right, the one plant, but plants, the plant life, plant kingdom, whatever, would be on the bottom, animals are more valuable than plants, and then people are more valuable than animals, right? This is the way it would work in terms of a hierarchy or a, a uh, in terms of value of life. There are the plants, there are the animals, there are the people. The animals are a middle ground in this way. Animals are more valuable, they have more worth than a plant that is only a day old. So God has every right, not only to spare the city for the people, but also to spare the city for the animals. And if Jonah wants God to spare his plant, then does he have no concern and care about the animals that live in that city? Because if God overthrows the city of Nineveh, who else is going to die? Not only the people, but also the animals that are there in that city, right? And it isn't fair for Jonah's innocent plant to die. Right, If it's not fair for Jonah's innocent plant to die, then is it fair in Jonah's mind for animals to die just because their owners happen to be Ninevites? Well, you ought to at least have some compassion, Jonah, for the animals that are in the city if you're so concerned about your plant. So he's showing Jonah, you're being completely inconsistent right, in your thinking, in your application of justice, of righteousness, of mercy, of grace, of pity, and of compassion. So the question of Jonah then is, can God be compassionate? Does God have a right to be compassionate even to undeserving, unworthy sinners? And the answer is yes, absolutely. God can be compassionate if he chooses to be compassionate. The question of the book of Nahum is, can God be just? Can God be just and can God bring judgment upon a city? And the answer there was absolutely. God can be just. And God can be compassionate, and God will according to his own pleasure. Now, for us, this is good because we are the recipients of God's compassion, of his mercy, of his grace. If God cannot be compassionate to Nineveh, then who else can he not be compassionate to? To you and me. And he can't be compassionate to Israel either because what do they have that makes them any better than the Ninevites? They have absolutely nothing. So if it's a blight on God's character for him to be compassionate to Nineveh, then it's also a blight for him to be compassionate to Israel, and it's a blight for him to be compassionate to you and me. But God can do no wrong. He does all things well, and whatever he does brings him glory and honor and is a display of his perfect righteousness. So when God has compassion, he does so consistent with his own glory, with his own righteousness, with his own wisdom. And then, having determined that, yes, God can be compassionate, Then the other lesson of the book is, will we be compassionate, right? We are to love as our father has loved us. And just as God is compassionate and loving to undeserving sinners, then are we only to love those who love us? Are we only to love those who we think are worthy of our love and worthy recipients of our compassion and of our pity? Well, no, because if that's the standard, then God would never have loved us. But God loves us freely and he gives to us what we do not deserve. So how are we supposed to love one another in the same way that God has loved us? We also should be compassionate. We should be merciful. We should have pity upon sinners. Though again, there is a place to uh, be upset or to have disdain for the sin and for the things that they are doing. Just as God had disdain for the sins of Nineveh and the people and the things that they were doing. But did that keep God from being merciful to them, being compassionate to them, and having a measure of pity for these people and bringing about their salvation? It did not. And so it shouldn't be that way for us either. So we don't wanna be like Jonah in this regard. Jonah had to be taught a very hard lesson. And what Jonah harbors in his own heart is often what we find in ourselves as well. And actually it comes from the flesh the flesh, which is uh, stingy, uh, very bitter, very harsh uh, in the way that it wants God to exercise his grace and mercy. He wants it to be based upon something found in us or something found in others, not based upon God's own freedom in his, in his will and what he chooses to do. And so then this is the way that we ought to be as well. All right, well, we'll stop there for tonight. And there we go, Jonah, I mean, he does come across a little, um, you know, kind of like a prima donna, right? In terms of, and now we've talked about this before. He is the, both the best and the worst at the same time. He's the best in that the whole city converts under his ministry, but then in other ways, he's the worst in that he doesn't like what's going on. He rebels against God multiple times. He's questioning God. He's getting angry with the Lord uh, in, in those ways. And yet God continues to be merciful to him.